1: Josh Brown, it's Monday, it's the wind-up, I'm Scott Tilford. you're Josh Brown, I just said that, but hello, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. I'm pleased to be back, Scott. Obviously we missed last week and I was very gutted. And I think the podcast before that was actually eaten. So we'd, it's been a while since we've done the old <laughs> uh, wind up.
1: We should absolutely address that, that we we host all of our stuff on this service called ACAST, which just they did a random behind the scenes migration of all the episodes. We're only like 800 and something episodes or something in total, um, including news and lists and stuff. And then there was just a week's worth of stuff that just got eaten, just went away. It was just like, oh, there's, oh migration's finished. And then you went to check the episode. And a week's worth of stuff's just been eaten alive. So if you were looking forward to, you know, the, the Wind Up on a Monday, the the 12-minute podcast that we did, um, you can find the 12-minutes one on the YouTube channel. But everything else got eaten. I think I managed to salvage the Untitled Banter podcast with me and Jules because I found the file after the the great migration of 2021. But my, me and your banter lost to the world. Lost. Well,
0: maybe maybe that gives it a bit more allure you know it's like the secret hidden (laughs) episode that nobody heard that we just did and then sent off to a vacuum i like it that if it ever does resurface we can bill it as you're not
1: wrong my mind is i can barely remember as you know i can barely remember anything that's happened other than the previous sort of 20 minutes at the best of times (laughs) so i don't even know what we talked about but i'm sure it was a lovely conversation and if people managed to get it before the great migration then i'm sure they had a lovely time but we thought for um today's wind up because usually we're going to try labeling this thing the wind because we're going to try going forward to have sort of uh, more specifically focused conversations and we'll try putting some questions out. We'll get some different thoughts um, from different people who are listening and stuff and we'll tackle different topics going forward. Um, And this one, the sort of inaugural one, um, is just this general conversation on how Sony always seem to falter when they're at the top. And I feel like obviously that doesn't apply across the board because they were very much at the top across the PlayStation 1 generation, especially towards the tail end when they were just dominating the N64. And then the PS2, um, a lot of the business decisions, they sort of just held back. They were just like, PlayStation 2, runaway momentum, that's all good. But then when they realized how much money could be made, the PlayStation 3 was the darkest time in their history. And right now I feel like it's not like the PlayStation 5 era is, is that close to you know fake Killzone 2 footage or eight days being announced and then deleted and the Getaway 3 being faked and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do feel like Sony are kind of all over the place. And one thing that's doing the rounds at the minute is uh, Jim Ryan's various comments on the uh, the path to upgrade Horizon Forbidden West from PS4 to PS5, um, and the fact that last week it was going to be that you would have to buy another copy of the game on PS5. They wouldn't just do a smart delivery style thing. Um, massive backlash to that, which they've reneged on, which I kind of predicted in our news video, because Sony are very much a, uh, we'll try and see what we get a- can get away with. And then, oh God, sorry, we stepped on a landmine, right? We'll go that way now. And if we'll see what happens, see what else blows up in that direction. So they have taken it back. But in a weird, weird way, where there's a new comment from Jim Ryan um, saying that going forward, PlayStation first party exclusive cross-gen titles newly released on PS4 and PS5, both digital and physical, will offer a $10 USD digital upgrade option from PS4 to PS5, um, saying it'll apply to God of War and Gran Turismo going forward, as well as anything else that's going to be available, uh, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Now, this is literally them charging for something that is free on Xbox, which I think is one of the stupidest things that they could do.
0: It's uh, It seems like another unforced error, Scott Telford, mm. in a year where they've done nothing but unforced errors and then had to go back on it in either totality or in part. Like you said, you know, mm. we've had this kind of like kind of a U-turn where you now don't have to buy, you know, two different copies, but you still have to buy the upgrade path, mm. which is, you know, the norm for some third party um, developers and publishers mm-hmm. but at the same time you know this comes off in the heels of them announcing that they're going to close down for instance the ps3 store all of that stuff and then kind of like
1: backtracking and then them. going oh I mean, sorry
0: oh sorry guys, didn't again. realize you actually liked this sorry sorry <laughs> please um, forgive us again and it just feels like they've um, done a lot of these decisions made these decisions, put them out thinking that they were going to be, you know, great money makers or great mm-hmm. money savers. And then realize that, you know, it's not worth the pennies that they're going to save in some cases or make in other cases and um, to piss off the fandom in such a <laughs> large way. Especially, like you said, you know, with this in particular, um, in terms of their exclusives, having this upgrade path, mm-hmm. it being in direct contention to the more consumer-friendly approach of Xbox, who is like, he's the smart delivery, buy it once, buy have it on every machine that we, you know, put out.
1: Mm -hmm. The other thing as well is that they're calling... (laughs) Oh, God, they're calling it dual entitlement, which I just feel like is the most like like the knife under the blanket style sort of like we're just going to shiv you anyway while we tell you about this business plan like oh hey don't worry guys like we'll give you this one for free but going forward there's going to be a price tag and also oh, we're going to call it dual entitlement because from our point of view you think you're entitled to this I just <laughs> I hate that so much that gives me so much like late 2000s uh, I think it was Ken Kutaragi it might have been uh, I think it was Ken Kutaragi who initially said the whole thing at E3 when they demoed the PlayStation 3 and they were being asked about the price of it and he was like you'd you'll get two jobs to pay for this and i was just like <laughs> no we effing won't mate because that's no the stupidest thing you could do and it, it just reminds me of that like dual entitlement like i, I don't know maybe it's just a marketing well, gaff, but so- i don't
0: know I, I think it is just something that they that is very much like marketing speak it's very <laughs> formal isn't it that i'm sure they haven't thought through about the potential connotations of it you know <laughs> and what that might look like it's to the It's very Jim Ryan. Um, But yeah, it's sort of Sony's in this place, like you said, where they're on top and now they're making all of these unforced errors. And obviously Mm -hmm. that comes hot on the heels of, you know, the PlayStation boss switching from Sean Layden to Jim Ryan and, you know, all of the um, decisions that have come out of that and all of the restructuring that's come out of that, but also Mm -hmm. the fact that Sony is on top. And the funny thing is, is that when you're on top, you need to constantly hit expectations and smash those expectations. And I feel like that comes with a lot of baggage and a lot of business decisions that often aren't in the consumer's best interest because they're trying to, you know, impress shareholders Mm. more than they're trying to impress Fans and players and gamers, we've seen that kind of across the board, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like that's seeping into to an extent. Thankfully, not as much as it did in the PS3 era, but certainly a little bit. Where you're, like I said before, you know, you've seen them identify ways they can make money, ways they can hit these targets, uh, and a lot of those are proving to be a little bit unpopular. For me, this ten dollar thing. I don't necessarily mind it. So much I'd prefer if it wasn't there, mm. but it is like I said before kind of like the norm when it comes to certain third-party publishers. So it's not like Sony's the only person mm. doing this, but I'm not going to completely cut them some slack because they're directly competing with Microsoft who is not doing this.
1: Well, I think yeah, for me it's like yeah, you can highlight those other publishers which are, you know, 2K, EA, Activision, like the the big sort of the big bads of the industry. They're the ones yeah. who are also going like, you know, we're popular enough we can charge for this. And um, but I think it, it like it's going to bring it down to like exactly Exactly, what is the PlayStation Five version of said game? Because if, if you're just paying ten pounds for a four K sixty upgrade, then it's that's so minor, and that's something that could be handled. That pretty much is handled on the hardware side automatically, anyway. You're just sort of unlocking something on the the game to be able to take advantage of the system. So I think like it just depends what it is. I guess like um, if there's enough extra content in the PlayStation Five version to to Garrett to say like you know this is why you would get it on PS Five. Then yes, I, those are the conversations that are uh, still to come.
0: Well, I think that's part of the problem as well because, you know, Sony, for whatever reason, over the past two years, have done a lot of talking but very little showing. Mm -hmm. Like, they've had very few conferences. They've had very few big reveals or big trailers or anything like that. So when we talk about games like GT7, God of War, even Horizon Forbidden West, you know, which we've Mm -hmm. only really seen one big gameplay trailer for as well as a cinematic trailer. And, you know, we don't know how those games look on PlayStation 4, for instance. We don't know really the differences between them in a tangible sense yeah we've seen the bullet points we've seen that games will run at 4k 60 like you said or whatever mm-hmm. um, there's better foliage or whatever you, you I was going to say there's, better... there's
1: a bit better grass say, well, it's just breath yeah. of the wild again
0: yeah. yeah totally which you know might be fine but we need to see them in action we need to see with our own eyes why they cost more and it's all well and good people saying well it's a Playstation exclusive of course you're going to pay more for it trust us and yeah I do kind of trust them but I trust as a rodent man and mm. I need to see the proof of concept i need these side-by-side comparisons i need to know what the exact differences are between horizon forbidden western playstation 4 and horizon forbidden West on playstation 5 i need to see that in motion and the consumer does to make an informed choice rather than just going on faith that which like i said is increasingly being eroded
1: Mm-hmm. I just it reminds me so much of when they bought the ps4 pro out and it's it's like mm-hmm. nigh on impossible to market a half step system because they're treating the playstation 5 like a half step system at the minute anyway and it's just that kind of thing where it's like okay you need to sell the more expensive new version of the game the higher version of the game but you also need to respect the consumer who's invested in the thing that they had and show yeah. that that version of the game is just as viable so you can't like sony have never done as far as i know a first party video showing a side by side comparison that's very digital foundry it's very i think Gamespot do a version of it now as well and it's like, you know, it's it's almost like that's what you, that's what they should be doing because it should be mm-hmm. saying, look, this is why you would invest in the top one. But also yeah. that would highlight the fact that there's not that much difference between both versions. So, yes. I don't know. and I
0: feel like, you know, worst case scenario, or I guess best case scenario, you kind of obscure the differences and pretend there's kind of, you know, just a slightly better features. You've got to, to play it to believe. You've got to yeah. play it to see it. Yeah, you've got to buy into it to see it. Worst case scenario, you throw the version of the <laughs> game under the bus that most people have access to you know there are 100 plus million playstation 4s Mm. out there that's a huge install base that you can sell the horizon sequel to so while you might want people to buy it on playstation 5 to justify that purchase to pick up potentially a playstation 5 whenever Mm. it's going to be available at the same time you don't want to be even you know indirectly going to those PlayStation 4 owners or players, this version's crap. This version is not the one you want. Look how poor this is in comparison. You know what I mean? You still kind of got to big that up but then not in a way that kind of doesn't allow the PlayStation 5 to shine. I must admit, it's not an envious position to be in, mm. but maybe there's a reason we haven't done this before, you know?
1: Well, the thing is, like, I when I think about like how you would, because that, that whole thing about, like, well, we can't just abandon 100 million people. It's like, well, you did before, you did it only, you did it from every <laughs> other, that's what, this, that's what a generational shift is. Like, yeah, you can do a, a backport of something, but I think that whole question around or that sort of conversation around migration is like, it's fascinating, but I think there's so much to be monetized in saying you have a library of games ready for you on the next generation like one of the things that i love about the playstation vita and it's many many things but Mm -hmm. when i got my vita and i dove on the playstation store i had a library of games already ready because they'd been selling me all these double versions of games over the years like the the ps uh, vita version alongside there was all the cross-buy stuff of like you get the handheld version alongside the main game Uh, and some games i did not even realize that was the case for like the license extends to the portable one like i just had the jack games ready to be downloaded and i was like i never bought these on Vita, but they're right there and that was such an insane thing that I feel like if they marketed that, that would have been a really good get. And I feel like they're missing such a trick with this um, by, I mean, you can buy the digital deluxe version of Horizon, then it'll be ready waiting for you on PS5, but they don't have that ecosystem in place like Xbox do to say like, you know, your saves will carry over and you just carry on on the new system. Like when me and you, I know you haven't played your Xbox in a while, the original Xbox one in a while, but when you got your Series X, you would have just carried on from where you left off in 2013. In my case, I was just carrying on from where I left off the previous day, like all the Those games were, the saves were there, everything just worked, but now the frame rate's boosted. Now it looks better. Now there's all these different things. And it just, they're just failing to monetize that. And that's such a worthwhile thing to monetize. Like, hey, by the way, gamers, thanks for sticking with us. Also, here's all the, here's a a better version of the thing that you bought. I just think that they're just so, it's so one-sided. It's so like, let's just charge you for that instead. And that's all we're going to offer.
0: No, it is. Like, Sony are definitely, you know, hedging everything on them being, you know, a premium developer. I mean, they've Mm. already done this by upping the prices of PlayStation 5 games in general, which, you know, other people have not done done that. No, no, no. Other people haven't done that. So they're doing that on top of then, you know, justifying that by kind of having to have this, you know, $10 upgrade thing. Because if they don't have that then they're creating a loophole that we kind of had with Miles Morales where you mm. can buy the PlayStation 4 version for cheaper and then get an upgrade. And why would you buy a PlayStation 5 game Maybe for more that's money why if you can get it? Maybe that's mean, why. Yeah, because they made that decision. They're not going to go back on that. They've been out defending it, and to save face and to avoid people just being like, "Well, why would I, out the goodness of my heart, spend an extra <laughs> ten plus dollars on the PS5 version when I can buy the cheaper one and then just get a regular upgrade?" That has mm-hmm. to be part of the reason. And it's kind of it's almost like they've you know backed themselves into a corner with that, so they have to justify it somehow. Because they and couldn't charge kind of,
1: seventy for a PS4 version. <laughs> oh,
0: definitely not. yet yeah. you, know, you couldn't charge that, especially as the disparity. Grows between them. Mm-hmm. So now they're kind of coming out and being like, well, there's, you have to pay a tenner because we've got a higher frame rate and we've got more, <laughs> more particle effects on the screen. And you know, that might be a good answer, but it kind of almost feels like it's out of desperation. Yeah. is you know... Uh, their choice at this point. I, I just
1: it, yeah that like that. Whole, I was just, the thing is with me. I kind of want to talk about like where so how Sony feel as a company because I feel like to me when I compare them to uh, we were saying before about the, just the sort of like the messy nature of the way that they handle stuff. And I kind of like if I compare them to Nintendo. I know what I'm getting with Nintendo. I know where they're stingy and I know where they can be a holes about stuff. And I know that you know they're going to fall down on the basics. They're not going to give you voice chat unless you get the companion app. Or they're going to overcharge for their games. Like you know Nintendo first party stuff is still being sold for full price at all times. You go you like mario uh, mario kart 8 or whatever uh, mario kart deluxe is still so expensive i mean it's still selling very well but they that's their thing that's what they do and that sucks you can criticize them for it but they're very much entrenched in it and just saying look we're nintendo we charge this much for this thing and i feel like xbox as well they're kind of coming across as the everything's chill man just don't worry about it just play (laughs) play whatever you want like maybe we'll try this hey don't worry game pass is a nice big hug and it's all fine and I, you know what you're getting from them. But even on the Sony side, even the console itself, there's that weird thing going on with the second hardware SKU that apparently is has worse components in it, cheaper components in it, so they can manufacture more of them or whatever. That's a whole conversation. There's this massive software firmware update that's about to drop, the um, version 5.0 or whatever, that apparently has a ton of changes in it, the way trophies work, the way the dashboard works, all that stuff. And um, there's all the bugs that we had on the launch day versions of the hardware. Like mine will still soft lock and just die. Like sometimes the controller yeah. won't pair with it and stuff like that. And then you have all these weird business moves on top where they're trying director's cuts to try and justify more money, but it's just DLC. And then like the whole, the upgrade cost and everything. And I kind of just look at them. I'm just like, are you this unwieldy? Like you can get on the top and you can walk the tightrope, tightrope. And then when we're all watching, you're like the guy who can't keep the balance. And we're like, well, you're up there now, but these two other guys are ready to go the second you fall off. <laughs> And I just, when I compare them to other companies, I feel like the other companies have such through-line focused visions, especially in Xbox's case. Um, And Sony just seemed to be absolutely like a mess. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
0: They, I, I, agree, but at the same time, I don't think a through-line vision necessarily makes other companies better. Like you mentioned, Nintendo there. I guess not I as bad, like, but yeah, yeah. And I so sort I of feel like that's all. It's almost worse that we kind of just, <laughs> you know, um, bat off their stinginess, their weird practices. There. Oh, that whole thing with the Mario for, collection. Yeah like, yeah, like six months and then taking it off sale. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, all publishers, all video game companies are run by one man and that man is called robin bastard right and he tries (laughs) to get as much money out of you as possible and sometimes Mm. he puts on a nice face sometimes he comes across very you know charming very personable Mm. very pro-consumer to get you in but ultimately i feel like they all change and show their true faces at some point and that's On one level, fine. It's a business. They're trying to make as much money as possible. It's very much not run for me and you. And we can kind of try to find a middle ground in between that. But yeah, like you said, with Sony, they're all over the place kind of trying to figure out what they want to be, what their identity is. They had such a strong identity in the PlayStation 4, era, and they're trying to carry a lot of that through, especially when it comes to exclusives, especially when it comes to first party. You know, they're still bigging that up. They're still doing really well there. But every other area kind of feels like it's falling down. Like you said, it's wobbling on that tightrope a little mm. bit. And, you know, it's fine for now. It's fine for now because they haven't fallen off. You know, they made some mistakes, but they're reacting to it. They haven't fallen off, but it will be one big gaff if they don't write it. That completely gives Xbox or Nintendo or whoever the opening to kind of like jump in and jump over them and get back on top. Because, you know, mm. like you said, Xbox is doing very well. Phil Spencer's really right that ship They're making a lot of great moves. But Sony hasn't really shown a major flaw in its defenses yet. But the moment they do, the moment they make a PS3 era style cock-up <laughs> is the moment that we might see a proper shift in the balance. But until that happens, I think they're going to continue to get away with these quote-unquote minor issues because they are kind mm-hmm. of like reacting they are kind of writing them and it's going to take a lot of those to add up i think personally
1: no yeah i mean i think that i guess i wouldn't call the minor flaws in the current context like when you're when your main competition is offering this stuff for free i see it as a massive mistake to, to try and get all money grubby about it especially because mm-hmm. they're so um, fallible, like that, you know, they did the PS3 Vita thing, then they went, oh God, sorry, they took it back. They did this thing with Horizon, then they, oh God, we'll take it back, but still, we're going to charge you for it. And it's like, well, if there's another massive backlash to that, and there will be going forward or overall, yeah. then they'll renege on that as well. And I just feel like, like I said, it just doesn't point to a company that has a through line vision for how to stay on top during the generation. It's more that they're falling back on the PlayStation brand name. Um, which i've i kind of long said that the ps4 era the the 8th gen um felt like they won quote unquote just because xbox fell so hard like the 360 mm. m- momentum was sky- was so strong was sky high and then obviously there was the whole thing with don matrick and we're going to conquer the living room and the connect and it was just so sideways that like all playstation had to do was not do that and then they managed to do very well and everyone just kind of goes well i love playstation like as a de facto <laughs> thing and they can fall back on that and i kind of wonder how much that that is just the underlying thing i don't know what you general thoughts on like on sony over the years like i feel like they yeah for me when they've tried to pioneer new stuff like they tried to pioneer the um the six axis controller with the playstation 3 and then that didn't go anywhere because no devs wanted to use it There was the led light on the ps4 they've tried these little things and then they sort of they stumble a bit and they go oh god sorry what we can do is be playstation and that's yeah. kind of what they go back to but they keep trying these different things that don't really work out
0: Totally. And I, on one level, I do like that they keep trying things, you know, mm. I like that they keep experimenting with new tech and, you know, putting out things like the PSVR, and then committing to a PSVR 2, making mm. the Vita, even if they didn't quite support it as they should have. Yeah. Like, they're still trying for these other experiences and sometimes they hit and sometimes they miss. But going back to what you said about, you know, like the last generation, the PlayStation 4 generation and how they were definitely on top. And I fully agree with you. this front they were on top initially because they just weren't xbox and xbox essentially you know made all of these unforced errors that sony are kind of gearing up potentially to make now but yeah they completely crashed and burned sony just had to contrast themselves with what xbox were doing to look like the good guys however Mm -hmm. i don't think that just allowed them to course through the generation by any means I think that for the first few years there very much kind of was a lack of game plan you know you had very few exclusives coming out everyone was kind yeah. of waiting for them but once they got the ball rolling after that slow start and after they were kind of in ahead by default I think it did take a lot of um, power to kind of like stay at the top especially once well, they kind of realized they had first party sound. Yeah. yeah, totally. And then they pivoted towards the first party stuff. And they were like, right, this is our identity. We're going to c- commit to single player games in an era where people are moving away from them and mm-hmm. even saying they're not viable at all. We're going to pump money into franchises. We're going to pump money into new IP, like Ghost of Tsushima, which was obviously a smash hit. Mm-hmm. We're going to make, you know, interesting. We're going to partner with interesting people like From Software, do Bloodborne. You know, we're going to make um, Until Dawn. We're going to do all of these interesting things. And the tech itself is going to be incredibly solid. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, even if they did get ahead by default, they built such a strong foundation and a stronger foundation than they had since maybe the PS2 era. Yeah, Uh, that was just so good. And I feel like that's what's allowed them to go in to this generation on top. And it's whether that foundation is dismantled going forward that will be uh, that will dictate who wins, quote unquote, this generation.
1: Yeah, well, that's a that's a beautiful, perfect, magnificent point. Like you think about, like I always go to Sony and go, yeah, you guys got ahead. Like you said, by default, but like you said, they almost single-handedly resurrected interest in single-player games like there was that whole thing and EA didn't help either just say oh people don't care about single-player games anymore it was that whole sort of mid-2010s push for loot boxes squad-based stuff multiplayer like 2017 was the absolute worst of it Um, but then yeah like you said I mean they also gave us like some of the newest um, video game mascots as well like Aloy and Jin like you know like I was thinking in the early 2010s that we hadn't had a face of gaming in so long like the mascot era was very much the PS1 PS2 and then it was like well you know there was no Nathan Drake from Uncharted, mm-hmm. but like main characters that you could hang a brand on, um, kind of went away. But um, speaking of games, um, I want to bring in a couple of quotes from um, uh, Sean Layden, who was the ex PlayStation Studios boss, um, because he's just in another recent interview with Bloomberg, um, just talking about the way that game costs have gone and the fact that you know we just mentioned like you know they sort of they resurrected single player games, they doubled down on it, but there's almost like a PlayStation formula now where it's like camera over the camera over the shoulder, uh, light open world elements, like maybe light crafting components, maybe you unlock a few runes to boost your character stuff like that um, and yeah. days gone God of War Horizon and um, there's starting to be a, a PlayStation house style which I feel very much comes from Naughty Dog I feel like I mean the new God of War as soon as you start um, walking quite slowly talking to Atreus I was like well this is very Joel and Ellie this is very the two of them on this adventure together um, and I, I want to get your thoughts on that too. But I'm going to read out a few um, quotes from Sean Layden. So he talked to um, Bloomberg, and he was just talking about the cost of games and the fact that the amount of money that is being hung on each of these projects uh, means that the diversity of of titles being greenlit is uh, so much less. So he was just saying if we can't stop the cost of stop the cost curve from going up, all we can do is try and de-risk it. This puts you, puts you in a place where you're incentivized towards sequels. What you what happens is you end up with three to four silos of games or game types that continue to exist, and variety is squeezed out. Um, This lines up with something that he said earlier in July uh, to gamesindustry.biz. This is a longer quote, but I think it's very valid. Um, Just saying that, you know, consolidation is the enemy of diversity in some ways. It takes a lot of playing pieces off the table as they grow into, as companies grow into larger conglomerates, and we end up with this problem with diversity. He says, right now, we're narrowing ourselves down into genres and sequels and certain types of games. And he mentions that his own favorites, like Parappa and Vib Ribbon, they don't seem to get the chance to come out anymore. And he said, that's bad for the industry and bad for fans. Over time, that leads to a crumbling of the games industry if we can't keep talking to the same people and telling the same stories in the same way. What's your thoughts on all that?
0: Um, very, very, <laughs> int- very big quotes there. But lots to chew on. Lovely, I think, but um, uh, yeah, I, I, I like him, man. Like, I, I was sad to see him go. But when he's he was talking there about issues. the kind of <laughs> walking out like Crash Bandicoot with a Crash Bandicoot <laughs> shadow, man, what a legend! Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Yes, when it comes to what he's talking about there about like the kind of consolidation of genres and subgenres and how a very specific um type of game becomes green light once these budgets mm. get so unwieldy and once the expectations are so high, you're definitely seeing that in Sony's camp. And, you know, I've said this for like a few years, ever since Days Gone came out, which was mm. very much uh, the Sony formula, or at least the new Sony formula. You know, they've established themselves as delivering a very specific type of single-player game, especially with their first parties. And while that might vary, you know, some are completely open world, some have open world elements. They're all very narrative-driven. They're all very character-driven. They're really all similar too yeah, they all control really similar. They all have a lot of the same features. You know, you can guarantee that you're going to be doing some crafting. You're going to be doing some um, leveling of exploring and stuff. And while you might say that's all games, I feel like all Sony games never used to be like that, but they've nope. got such great success from that. And for now, I think that's fine. You know, the games mm-hmm. that we're getting from that formula, for my money, have been some of the best of the generation. You know, we've had Spider-Man. We've had The Last of Us Part 2 We've had Ghost of Sushima. We've had Horizon. We've had all of these great games. But my issue is that all of these were born from creativity. And at what point does this become stagnant? And at what point Mm. does, does, does that formula become so successful that Sony isn't willing to make a risk like The Last of Us again in case it doesn't work because the budget will be $200 million or whatever, and they might not be able to recoup that cost. That scares me a little bit. I don't want to get too, you know, fearful about it right now, but I think Sean Layden is right in that the budgets are only going to get bigger. The mm-hmm. desire for more fidelity, for Better graphics for more hours in the games themselves, whether they're multiplayer or single player, is only going to grow. Mm. And you have to match that with time. You have to match that with a budget. But that also comes with a level of expectation because your Sony and Spider Man just sold 20 million units, right? So, how <laughs> do we match that? And it does, for my money anyway, come to this conclusion that only a handful of game types are being made and getting greenlit and hopefully that's not all we get. I feel like there's a space for blockbusters in particular but mm-hmm. there also needs to be a space for these extra things, these other things, these more exciting things well, potentially more exciting things but certainly these more um, creative things.
1: Well that was, the, I mean for me it's it's a wider problem in the industry like I mean you've got like Rockstar, like you know like so they put all their money into GTA Online, they put all their money into Red Dead Redemption 2, these really big opulent over the top things that yes are worthwhile while well, but there's just so, there's so much money doing the rounds that used to be put into smaller titles and for having a champion EA for doing the EA Originals program like he wouldn't have like the idea that You know, if we back in 2017 when Battlefront Two was on fire, if you'd said that that company was then going to go on to to allow the likes of It Takes Two to exist, like that's insane. I mean, obviously, like back then they just launched their EA originals thing, and we had Unravel and Unravel Two. But I I love what someone like Joseph Faris brings to the industry, and it's and I would love like Sony to get use their marketing power. Maybe maybe they'll do this on Thursday. Maybe they'll announce a real good swath of stuff. And to be honest, they do highlight a lot of indie stuff when they put their State of Play's out and things like that. Um, but. They're not first party. They're not giving them the Sony stamp of approval. They're not a range of games across a range of different budgets with a range of different mechanics. Like they haven't had a first person shooter in what, since Shadowfall, like 2014, uh, 2013 even, um, and it's just like like in, in Rockstar's case, like, like I said, EA are kind of showing how it can be done, like have a wing of EA that the, uses the EA marketing budget and says, but oh, it's an original idea. And then something like It Takes Two has sold like over a million copies or something, and it's definitely a success. And it allows someone like a Joseph Harris to do that tier of game over and over again, and um, prioritizing creativity and not sticking to the same formula. I would love that approach from Rockstar, and I would love that approach from Sony as well. I don't know why, because you were saying like, you know, it's that whole idea of like, well, it's not going to sell 20 million. It doesn't need to like if the budget is that much smaller then you can get away with a fraction of that sales like it just it's that overall um you know money grubby like business suit type mentality that doesn't prioritize creativity that you see in every creative industry and it's just it's always the thing that like to the core annoys me the most anyway
0: 100% man I remember reading and I've talked about this a few times but it genuinely blew my mind that much I think it was a Jason Schreier Jason, mm-hmm. Jason Schreier piece <laughs> from a few years ago where um, if, if it was Jason uh, he was talking about you know how success in companies actually doesn't breed creativity like back True. in when I was you know younger for instance and I didn't quite know the intricacies of how games are made I perhaps naively thought that well if you make something successful you get to do whatever you want you know you've mm-hmm. proven you can make money so it can be a one for them one for you type deal you've proven yourself you can be like Chris Nolan and just make whatever you <laughs> want (laughs) Uh but that's not the case you know if you make a successful game that only raises the bar of expectations of what all the other games are supposed to be so Mm -hmm. if you suddenly sell a single player game that sells 20 million units if you put out another single player game that only sells five that's viewed as a disappointment right if you put out a game that hits 90 metacritic and then you put out one that hits you know 79 that's viewed as a disappointment regardless Mm -hmm. of the budget regardless of how much how much money you made because you've raised the bar you you've made it so that shareholders especially now have a certain level of financial expectation a certain level of financial return on their investments and it kind of Makes for a lack of creativity because you've you've struck gold, but now you need to keep striking gold. So how do we do that? We need to focus it on the market. We need to focus it on um you know testers, what's mm. working, what isn't working, and really be um narrow in our view to try and constantly hit that. And I think mm. that absolutely sucks. That is just the <laughs> worst model ever for me and you who like creativity, like variety, want to see new IP, want to see original ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah, I mean for me it's like. It's the fact that you you can do these big titles that should free up the ability to do a few small ones alongside. I mean, they've tried a few. They've tried this in the past, but they just did it so terribly with the uh, PlayStation Minis, which was like their response to um, all the Xbox Live Arcade stuff. But it was just the most weird, threadbare, top-down, two D stuff, and it never got much of a push on the marketing side, other than just the brand getting out there a bit with the logo. Um, but I just feel like that's what you should do. Like you're in a creative medium, you should be putting out creative stuff. And I think that it for me, it comes down to the marketing. Like you're right, the there is a financial reality to making a certain amount of money. I mean, there's there's literally the side of it in terms of how many people you're now hiring because the game is so much bigger or the company is so much bigger and those wages need to be paid and that whole thing. But I just feel like if you've covered your bases, you've got a you've got a horizon on the horizon, then you might as well put something else out that is small. I mean, that was that whole thing with Naughty Dog, with um, you know Wild Neil Druckmann and Halle Gross and whoever else decide what they're going to do next as a main studio. There was a whole wing of Naughty Dog employees that had nothing to do, so they're just remaking The Last of Us because it's something to do. And it was yes. I know that like that tied in with another um, like sort of studio that was being built alongside them, like a new Sony company uh, studio. But at the same time, like, what level of manage? Why can't you let that team go do their own thing in that time yeah. window? Like things like Among Us and Phasm- Phasmagoria and everything else. They phasmophobia, whatever it was called. They all came from tiny development windows. Among Us was a game jam. It was like two days mm-hmm. long. Like. Blah, blah, blah. I mean-
0: Dude, what, what, what I totally don't buy, right, is that this idea that they don't have the money to yeah. spend on these like big <laughs> budgets or even like these smaller budgets. You know, Sean Layden in that interview was talking mm-hmm. about budgets potentially doubling from what they are now for these blockbusters, which is mm-hmm. like $100 million to around $200 million. Mm-hmm. And while that might sound like loads, that's the average of a Hollywood blockbuster, right? And mm-hmm. games make more money and make more profit than Hollywood. Like mm-hmm. games as an industry are bigger and bring in more money than Hollywood, not only because they cost more, but because you've got all of these different revenue streams, you've got microtransactions, mm-hmm. you've got expansions and all that stuff. So the the level of income we're talking about in terms of these big games or even small games that manage to hit it like Among Us and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it's so large, that I just don't buy that that can't be reinvested in a smarter way where you can have these blockbusters but you can also have, like you said, these smaller games or these more modestly budgeted titles, they don't even have to be small games, just, you know, a double A, you mm-hmm. know, budget or something that can still have the potential to make a lot of money because, you know, you're, you're already making loads, I don't view I don't buy this <laughs> argument that these companies, and I'm not just talking about Sony I'm talking about all of no it goes across the board developers yeah. yeah across the board and these kind of you know especially the big ones these kind of struggling underdog studios that aren't and are just getting by and we need you to spend um, money on fifa points so we can stay in business and pay <laughs> our employees nah you're making loads of money it's all going to the top you're putting i'm starting to sound like i'm on the gymquisition or something here <laughs> it goes to like the people at the top you know they're getting the most of it you've got loads of money you've uh-huh. got so much you've got more than any other entity. well the bobby industry. codex stuff it was like
1: exactly you know
0: yeah yeah, Bobby Kotick's bringing in huge bonuses and it's like nah, reinvest that more smartly, make mm-hmm. better games and we won't have this issue where um you know blockbusters are seen as unviable, you know, because pay pay what they what they what they deserve you know and, the and also people, what they deserve
1: like the teams of people that are here as well like, you know like the naughty dogs the rock stars like those are teams of people who i mean obviously you can point to the big creative leads the neil druckmans that the hauser brothers like you get them but also there are teams of people story like you know story overseers story designers editors people who have overseen these games over decades that i just would love to see what they want to put out like you know seeing um different indie games that have come out from little fractured studios that have left ubisoft like 12 minutes was the um, one of the ex-art directors from ubisoft and rockstar and as much as i did I didn't, like like twelve minutes. Over- well, I appreciate twelve minutes overall. I didn't jive with the way that it actually was put together. Um, I love that it exists, and that's the thing. Like, I would, I would take a million 12 minutes over another. La- well, I was going to say over another Last of Us too. I probably might, to be honest, <laughs> over the idea of another <laughs> sequel. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I would love a, a diversity across the board. Like, give me more of that than just another sequel, because that's the easiest thing to do. I think in Last of Us's case, that was something that Druckman and um, Bruce Trilley at the time said, like, we're not going to do this unless it's a story that we really want to tell. But I don't want Sony to get into a place where we're, you know, endless remakes or endlessly revisiting franchises, because that's the safer bet. I think that's the, the core of what uh, Layden was saying. And I just... I like to look at the EA originals model, and I think if it's Rocky style, if they can change, <laughs> then everybody can change. I just that should be the case across the board.
0: What you're saying is everyone needs to go home and watch Rocky Four. I'm not at gonna least lie, the bosses at Sony need to do that. Yeah, literally. I know.
1: mean, it's it's just because I'm playing. What the hell is it even called? Big Rumble Boxing Creed Champions. Um, Cost so I'm. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. I'm just rekindling the love of, uh, of Rocco and, uh, and, uh, and all those big fights. But um, yeah, let us know what you think. Come find us on social media. What do you think of where Sony are at right now with the PlayStation? How does that company feel? And what do you think of their direction overall to this point and going forward? Um, for now, this has been The Wind Up. I've been Scott Taylor, joined by Josh Brown.
0: Goodbye. I'm so excited to see what Thursday has to bring, actually. You know, I know. That's going to be the moment where hopefully they turn it around and me and you will hopefully <laughs> be there to do some post-show um, analysis of that.
1: Yes, come back for that. Me and you will be doing some sort of video-type thing immediately after that show. So check the YouTube channel on Thursday Night UK time. But that, those, all those thoughts will be there um, in the coming days. But yes, for now, though, it's the thing that I said. It's the wind-up. I'm Scott <laughs> Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Goodbye. I will catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>